You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I have to say that Rabbi Yosef Engel is unique in, in so many ways. Um, there are people, if actually, if you, you, if you talk to one people in the, in the Torah world, in the Yeshiva world, about Rabbi Yosef Engel and his Sforim and what he has done, most people wouldn't even connect him to the Chassidah Shavelt. Um, they wouldn't realize that he grew up as uh, a person who was uh, from a family that was married Chassidahs, that were Chassidim themselves, uh, from his father and his mother. From the, they were connected to the great Divrei Chaim, Chaim Tzans, um, and uh, through his um, mother's family, they were connected also through uh, to the Noyam Elimelech, the famous Rebbe Elimelech of Lushinsk. So there was no question about it in Torno, where he was born, um, in, uh, that this was a place that was steeped in Chassidus. By the time he was born in 1859, I believe it was, because it was, you have to take a look, it was Zion Hanukkah of Tafresh Yutes, might have actually been uh, you have to take a look and see if that was 1858 or 1859. It was the seventh night of Hanukkah he was born. Chassidus um, already had entrenched itself in ways that uh, it wasn't in an embryonic stage. There were already Rabbonim and Paiskin. And the Divrei Chaim, of course, uh, was already uh, re- renowned in the halachic world as someone who was, whose rulings needed to be considered as almost as important as the Chassam Sa'ifer and others. Again, it never, I don't know if the Divrei Chaim ever reached that type of level, but people understood that the Divrei Chaim was a Pesach and a Rov, that some Achzedek's Jubas, I think, were already from the Lubavitcher, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, were already well known. So the idea of a Chassidish Pesach at this point was pretty prevalent. Rabbi Yosef Engel, I have to say, as uh, powerful as a mind as he was, is not primarily known as a Pesach. Yet, he was clearly living in the world of Hasidus, the world of Hasidish Arabis, the world of Hasidim, the Kbeda of Hasidim, the Oil Mamach Shav of Hasidim. But as I said before in the, in the, in the uh, invitation, he was really, in a way, beyond Hasidus. Um, yes, he was connected to, and his family, Tzanz, connected uh, uh, in his youth. Uh, he married a... Um, in his youth, he was also well known by the by by Chassidish They had heard about him. They had heard about this great genius. The truth was, all of his family, even his his brothers, were all known as very brilliant people. From what the research that I've done shown that his father, although was clearly uh, connected and held himself like a tzanzer chosid, um, was involved in business. Was involved was a businessman, and um, was actually a person who was a contract expert. And it seems like he was uh, pretty, he knew how to uh, stride within, I would say, the secular world. I don't have that, I, I'm not 100% sure about uh, his comfort level there, but it's clear that he was able to provide uh, for his family and especially for this son of his, this Rabbi Yosef, uh, a, an atmosphere where he could thrive with Bikius. Um, he, he was known to have said that unless you can count all the letters of the Rashi and Tesis, meaning you know your Rashi and Tesis cold until you know how much letters were, that it, you shouldn't necessarily go to any other Sfarim. But if anybody went to other Sfarim, it was him. His, his knowledge in, 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 in Sfarim, Sifri Psak and Shuvas, uh, it's, it's outstanding. It's outstanding, and it's 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 you're flabbergasted by how much he knew, and I think he started to build. Although he he said he built it in a fundamental way, he built his incredible mindset from the beginning, from when he was young. His father was able to support him, and uh, you know, in Tarni he was known as the Tarni Eli, and people came from all over just to test him, to talk with him, um, to sort of in a way um, enjoy. The brilliance of someone whose memory was was faultless, and someone who could speak like a wunderkind, who could speak about almost anything. Uh, at a uh, his uh, he was married uh, at around nineteen. Um, 
and that's when he moved to the city of Benzin or Benzin, um, which at that point was on was 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 in Saras Russia, and it was there that he lived in the home of uh, his shver, who provided for him for a while, um, and he was a sochet shavur Those of you that were uh, there about the Avni Nezer last week know about the greatness of the Avni Nezer. Um, and although there was about a 20-year difference between them in age, the Avni Nezer held of uh, Rabbi Yosvengel had them in great regard. Uh, it, se- it seems like there were numerous visits to Sochachov. In fact, uh, in, the, in the writings of Rabbi Yosvengel, which are <laughs> amazing, um, the amount that he wrote, and unfortunately the amount that wasn't published, he writes in one place that he uh, had 101 svarim still yet to be printed. So he printed about um, 11 or 15 svarim, I think, if you count uh, something that he wrote by his mother's Avelis, the Sheva de Nechamta, um, and in the Beis Halitzer and some of the other svarim that he wrote. And so this is a man who we know at least wrote 120 svarim. Um, and many of them he said he worked on in those in the early years, the early years, even from the time he was 13. But then when he came to um, when he came to Bentin, he was uh, able to visit, as I said, with the Sochet Shavar Rebbe. Uh, he writes a number of places there that Chacham Echad Omar, Chacham, and his grandchildren have said that in the original manuscripts, it actually has this, the, the Rebbe's name. Why he didn't want to keep the Rebbe's name in his books, I'm not sure. Part of it was probably because he might have disagreed with him. And the COVID of, for the covet of the Avni Nezer, uh, he decided to print the Sefer without the Avni Nezer's name. But it's, it's, it's very well known that the Chassidim loved him, and he, was, he felt a tremendous connection to them. Uh, in, in another way, he is very much a Chassidish uh, Rav. Now, again, he wasn't really a Rav in Benin, although the uh, Rabbonim who were... Um, the Rabbonim who were... Um, in the city, Rabbi Sachar Beirish would would always um, uh, push towards him their most difficult questions. I'm not sure if this is true or not. Um, um, you know, ben, Benny, you could you could you could respond to this if you think this is true. But I think there was something similar in the um, uh, in uh, in uh, Broad, where you know, the base of Ephraim was not the official of Ephraim Salmer Govis was not the official rov of the city. Um, he did sit in the Bezdin and give psokim, but you know, and but it's possible that when very difficult questions came up, they realized, even though he didn't have an official position, they wanted to get his das. And there are there is records of Rabbi Yosef Engel. In fact, one of the things which I want to share with you later is a chuba that he wrote to the Rav of Bendin, where he was not the rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Engel, but the rabbi wanted some help. And he helped Paskin Shaila that really helped someone. Um uh, who was in a very desperate, dire strait, which hopefully we'll get to, we'll see when, as we get to a little bit later. The point is, is that he wasn't, uh, he was writing as far as being involved in Psak in a, in, a, in a moderate way. Later on in his life, uh, through a number of Gilgulim, um, after he was in, uh, when he was, uh, because of the Russo-Japanese War and other things in the beginning of the turn of the century, towards the turn of the century, he ended up becoming a Dayan in Krakow. And it was there, that we find Rios Vengel actually being involved in Piskei We find his names on various hachrozois, various uh, community uh, announcements and proclamations. It was there that he, uh, in a way, I guess, sort of came into his own, but even there, nobody refers to him as the, the, the Av Bezdin of Krakow, which he essentially was, uh, although he was really beyond and as I said, beyond any place um, and um, greater, in fact, than any of his works. You know, when we think about the Chafetz Chaim or even the Abne Nezer from last week, most people do not say Rabbi Avram Borenstein. They say the Abne Nezer. Uh, with Rabbi Yosef Engel, as magnificent as his works are, he's not known as the Asvindar Isis. As if someone does say that, then he's a little bit on the, uh, uh, an outlier. Again, I've been around for a long time. I've heard Rabbi Yosef Engel's name, I guess, since in, in, uh, the first time I discovered it myself 
was, I would assume, I guess I was probably, I didn't hear that much in Eretz Yisrael when I was yeshiva, to tell you the truth, and the with Vishish that I learned it. But when I went to, um, on my own, to Florida afterwards, it was there that I discovered um, the who Rabbi Yosef Engel was. But I, when I speak with people about Rabbi Yosef Engel, I, I, nobody says to me, oh, take a look at what the Asfandar Isis says. There's the Ktsuis, the Pnei Yeshua, but Rabbi Yosef Engel, I think it's Havoy Dover, that that he is greater, even in the magnificent works that he wrote, which are, as I said, you're, they are, you are flabbergasted by their greatness. Still, he is somehow greater than, 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 the, than his corpus. He isn't the Chofetz Chaim. He isn't looking, he's Rabbi Yosef Engel. And I think there's something similar with Rabbi Nachum Zemba. I think Rabbi Nachum Zemba, people, uh, people probably, you know, they're not going to say, oh, the Zambu, the Sifri writes, or the Tetzas Chaim writes. There's something about the the, the 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 greatness of the person that his stamp is on everything. Anyway, I'm not sure how significant of a point that is, but I think, as I said, Rabbi Yosef Engel's uh, influence is is great, especially among mature thinkers and the Ilma Yeshivas. It's exciting and wonderful and brilliant. Uh, in 2012, I had the exclusive of meeting Rabbi Tobi Weiss. Uh, and talking to him and learning. And it was within a couple of times of speaking with him and learning that I sensed a tremendous affinity between Rabbi Weiss and Rabbi Yosef Engel. In fact, I said to him, you know, you, this is a Rabbi Yosef Engel type of idea. And he says, you know, that's my favorite, that's my favorite safer. I always look there. That's, uh, I really see him as, a, as, as my Rebbe. I said, you can, you can tell. And throughout the years, uh, the many years that I've uh, had the merit to know Rabbi Weiss and speaking and learning, I hear the, uh, I sense and see and the spirit of Rabbi Yosef Engel. And many times, some, sometimes even the exact ideas that Rabbi Weiss has been a chavin to and very close to it. And the simcha that Rabbi Weiss has when he's able to, um, to realize that what he said is really in line or even mirrors what Rabbi Yosef Engel says is, is immense. So there was no one really uh, quicker in my mind to ask, to present the Battery of Yosef Engel than Rabbi Weiss. Rabbi Weiss, if you would. And uh, Rabbi Yosef Engel is, uh, I always found to be very, very interesting, uh, not just interesting, but so deep, but on, on, a, on a level that I didn't necessarily, or I don't, we don't necessarily find so often in other uh, achronim, and that is that his his uh, nature is to uh, go to the great depths of Lomdus and Chakiras, almost like you feel like you're reading a Briska Sefer, uh, and then uh, uh, very smoothly uh, entering into the world of Machshava. And there is no Chiluk Beinehem. It's all one Chativa uh, Achas. It's all one uh, grouping, one learning. And I always found that to be very, very, uh, it always touched me, in a, not just in, a, in, an, in an analytic way, in an intellectual way, but he has a way of touching you both analytically, intellectually, and emotionally. Uh, I remember when Rav Shach passed away a number of years ago. So Rav, uh, Rav, Rav Olbaum from Queens, Rav Noach Isaac Olbaum, uh, was giving a um, um, was giving a hespit on on the shloshim of Rav Shach, and I was my wife and I were living in Queens at the time, and uh, he told the following mice. He told that Rav Shach was a young boy. He was traveling with his father somewhere, and somehow we ended up in the town where Rav Yosef Engel. Uh, was the Rav, and uh, he wanted to, Rav Shach's father wanted to bring the young Rav Shach to, uh, to, to meet Rabbi Yosef Engel. So they came to the house on Shabbos, and the Rebbitzin opened the door. And the father um, of, of Menachem Shach said, um, said, I'd like to, my son should be able to meet the great Gon, Rabbi Yosef Engel, is the, is the Rav here? So the Rebbitzin said, he's here, but he's sleeping, and I can't, you can't come in now. So the, uh, the father said, Becholzos, I'll call upon him still, I, if it's possible, you know, we can come back later, but we came, we, is it possible at least to get a glimpse of the great Gon? So she said, okay, you can get a glimpse, but tiptoe in, and you have to be very quiet. So she says, okay. So they tiptoed in, and, um, and they saw that Rabbi Yosef Engel was sleeping over his Gemara, but his right hand was moving like he was learning. So he, he was sleeping and learning at the same time. The number of Sfarim that he, uh, that he wrote, uh, of, I'm, I'm only familiar with a few of them, with the famous ones, the Asfan Daraisa and the Lechach Tov and the Gvura Shmonim and the Beis HaOtza, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, are just so filled 
and so packed. There's very little fluff, if I could say that. It's just so packed. And every, every page is another chiddush. It's really something special to be able to... to Rabbi Vremel said that I, I call him my Rebbe. If, if, I could be, if I would be a Talmud, Shev, a Talmud, Shev, a Talmud, it'd be a great zuchos. So I, I tried as much as possible to incorporate his ideas into my shiurim, and it's a, really a great honor. Just recently, I was talking to Rabbi Vremel about a thought from Rabbi Yosef Engel that I wanted to share. There is a concept in halacha called an ase do halotas. You know, we're coming up to the, we're coming up to the uh, Yom Noraim. And um, the, the, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah brings down from Rev Puspadai, says that uh, there are three books, Shlosh Hashanah and Tachim, but Rosh Hashanah, there are three books that are open on Rosh Hashanah. And uh, we know that one is the, uh, the, the Sef, Sefer Achayim, the Sefer Amesim, the Sefer HaBainonim. And the Gemara says that um, that uh, the, bain, the the tzaddikim are nechtavim and nechtamim la'alto l'chayim, and the rishayim are nechtavim and nechtamim la'alto l'misa. And uh, the svarim all ask, uh, what's going on? Uh, how is it possible to say such a thing? All the rishayim are are written and signed uh, uh, for the book of of misa. We see plenty of rishayim, and it's not always so simple to figure out who's a rasha. But sometimes we have an idea. And uh, we have many wonderful, great Rishayim who are walking around. They live this year, next year, another 20 years. How could they go and say it's against the Metzius? So there's different answers that are given. The Arve Nachal brings an answer where he says that the person, the same way the body is made up of different parts, the Neshama is also made up of different parts. There's the Nefesh, there's the Ruach, there's the Neshama. So um, he explains that, uh, that what it means that the, the Rasha's Nechtav and Nechtav Lamisa is that he loses access to the higher portions of his neshama. That when a person's a rasha, the neshama part of the neshama leaves the body. It can't, it can't dwell in such a wicked environment. And the rasha is only left with the lower part of the soul called the nefesh. As it says, the oshma nefesh ahiyim. Based on this, the Shem Shmuel says, we'll get to the Yosef angle in a minute, but the Shem Shmuel says that, um, the Shem Shmuel writes that for this reason is why aseh zdochalot because uh, the assay, when someone does a mitzvah assay, so it's done with the highest part of the neshama. And when someone does a, uh, uh, someone violates an avera, so the neshama temporarily leaves, and then the avera is done with the lower part of the neshama, with the nefesh, the oshma nefesh So therefore, assay, which comes from a higher part of the neshama, is dochalotase. So long, um, while we're talking about Asa Docholotase, I was thinking of Rabbi Yosef Engel, because uh, there's a Ramban that's often quoted in Parshish Yisro that explains a different reason why the Asa is Docholotase, because the Asa, Mitzvah Asa is done from the Mida of Ahava. When someone loves someone, so they do things for them. They do things for them. They, they bring flowers. When we, so out of our love for Hashem, that's the core of the Yisod of the Mitzvahs that we do, the 248 Mitzvahs are rooted in the Midah of Ahava, like Avram Avinu was rooted in Chesed, Ahava, loving and embracing people. So the mitzvah sase, the 248 mitzvah sase, which is Gematria, Avraham, are performed out of a Midah, out of the Midah of Ahava. However, the mitzvahs Lotase are performed because of Yira generally. We don't do something because we don't want to get, uh, we don't want to, we don't want, we have a certain awe or a certain fear, let's say. So that's the Lotase has come from Yira and the Asay has come from Ahava. The, the, one of the svarim that Rabbi Yosef Engel wrote was called the Gulyone Ashas. Gulyone Ashas are not long ha'aras uh, um, uh, that he writes on all of Shas. And he has on Yerushalmi as well. And Yerushalmi and Zroyim, Rabbi Yosef Engel explains as follows. Based on this Ramban, we can explain a wonderful Gemara. The Gemara says in Zvachim that even though we have this concept of that an Asay, a Mitzvah Asay is Docha, Mitzvah Lotase, that does not apply in the Migdash. Doesn't apply in the base Hamidish, we would not apply the concept of Asay Docholotas. And it's not clear, the Gemara never says why that should be. Why should it be that a mitzvah say is not docholotase in the Migdash? If it's if you have a concept of, of a principle of Asay Docholotase, so why shouldn't that apply in the Migdash? Rabbi Yosef Engel writes something that again is halacha and machshava at the same time. It's all one. It says that we understand that in the base Hamigdash, it was a place that was focused on the Yirash Shemayim, on Yirash Hashem. The Beis HaMidrash is built on Har HaMoria, from Lashon Yira. There's a certain Yira, a certain awe. A person has to dress a certain way. You can't come in with your shoes. You can't leave your, you can't come in with your phone. You can't come in with your wallet. You have to leave all that by the side. You can't make the Beis HaMidrash into a shortcut. There's a certain level of awe and Yira that takes place in the Beis HaMidrash. So much so, Yosef Engel explains that even the mitzvahs say that we do in the Migdash, 
are coming from the Midah of Yira. Everything, the base of Yira, everything is Yira. And if everything is Yira, that's why Asay is not Docha the Lot in the Mikdash. The reason why Asay is Docha Lotase is because Ahava, Mitzvah Asay, neutralizes a Lotase which comes from Yira. So the Mitzvah of Tzitzit comes from Ahava, not to wear Kalayim comes from Yira. But when you put the two together, so Asay is Docha Lotase. You can wear Tzitzit even if it's going to mean that at the same time you're going to be wearing Kalayim. However, in the base of Mikdash, in the base of Mikdash, you do not apply Mitzvah. Uh, you don't apply the concept of Asay Docholotase because at the base of Mikdash, even the mitzvahs Asay came from the world of Yira, and therefore there's no Ahavad being Docha Yira, it's all Yira, and therefore that's how the Yosef Engel explains that there's no Asay Docholotase in the Mikdash. I wanted to share another thought from Yosef Engel in one of his Svarim, very important Sefer, called the Beis Ha'otzer. The Beis Ha'otzer. I didn't know this, it doesn't say this in the um, in the, in the Sharblat of the Beis Ha'otzer, but of Shachter once explained that the Beis Ha'otzer was really meant to be an uh, encyclopedia of Rabbi Yosef Engel's own works. He wrote an encyclopedia in order to reference all the Torah that he wrote in all his other Svarim. Ramel, how many uh, Svarim does Rabbi Yosef Engel have? I think it's... There's 30 volumes of notebooks that were lost. And unfortunately, because it was in, it was in Krakow, and then in Vienna, so it was all lost by the Holocaust. So there is actually, there's only two volumes. He only gets up to Aleph and Bays, I believe. Exactly. It's a tremendous loss because what he has in Aleph and Bay, he doesn't even finish Bays. He starts with Aleph, 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 Bays, Aleph, Gimel, Aleph, Dalit, all words. And he all, he's referencing what he's writing in all his other Svarm, but remember, Ramel just 120 Svarm. So he was a, an absolute uh, a, a encyclopedia, really, of, of, of his own Torah, which is so amazing and deep. His very first piece in Beis HaOtzer, he discusses the status of the Avos. Status of the Avos. is a big machlokas, and then we showed him whether the Avos had the status of a Ben Yisrael or Ben Nawak. It's a little bit funny to call Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov Goyim. <laughs> it's a little bit of a funny concept. But the truth is, many of the Rishonim hold that they were Bnei Noach. They were Bnei Noach. They were not used to, the Torah had not been given. And before Matan Torah, there really is very little, there's no concept of someone who's a Yisrael. Not Israel, till Matan Torah, till we had the Geras that took place in Mitzrayim and then at Harsinai. So there is no, uh, there is no concept of Israel. So therefore, even the Avos were not Yatsu Michlal B'nai Noach. They were part of, of B'nai Noach. And the big question that's always asked is, wait a minute, if it's true that the um, that they were they were not they were they were not if it's true that the Avos are and have the status of B'nai Noach, there's a halacha that someone who's a Ben Noach cannot keep Shabbos. Someone who's a Ben Noach is not allowed to learn Torah. So the Gemara says that the Avos kept Kala Torah Kula. The Avos kept, uh, which includes Shabbos and Torah. They learned Torah. Even the fact that Noach learned Torah is also a question. How does Noach learn Torah? The Gemara says Malamich, Noach learned Torah from the fact that he was able to distinguish between those animals that were kosher, those animals that were not kosher. Is it shy to say that Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov did not keep Shabbos? The truth is, the question is a little bit funny, even though many of the Achronim deal with it. It could be when it says that they kept the mitzvahs, maybe they didn't actually physically do the mitzvahs, they just were able to draw down whatever that uh, spiritual energy that comes from doing mitzvahs. But that being said, in the middle of the discussion, in the middle of the discussion of whether the others kept mitzvahs or not, on the very first os, in the very first piece, in his um, in in his uh, Beis Ha'otzar, the um, the, the Rabbi Yosef Engel wants to know well why is it that a Ben Noach that a guy is not allowed to keep Shabbos why not what's the what's the problem why can't a Ben Noach keep Shabbos with something something wrong someone wants to keep Shabbos let him keep Shabbos the Gemara says a Ben Noach Shabbos is Chayv Misa he wants to know why he calls him Arshon Sanhedrin and then he gives his own Mahalach he explains as follows explains as follows <clears throat> the whole Yisod of Shabbos and Torah is at the Lamala Menateva. They're above the world of nature. You know that uh, Shabbos is called a Nachla Bli Mitzorim, the Gemara Shabbos, Shabbos, someone who keeps Shabbos is eventually going to be Zoch and inherit inheritance that has no borders. Torah, of course, is, is infinite. It's forever. It represents and is HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Seichel uh, Kaviyachel, as the Balatanya points out in the beginning of his Sefer. So he explains that those areas of Torah that represent 
most fully the concept of that which is above the gvulim, above boundaries, have no shaykhs to a ben noach. A ben noach comes from this world, they're connected to Olam Haza. And those areas, specifically Shabbos and Torah, which are areas that are a guy has no shaykhs, so a guy is not allowed to be uh, keeping Shabbos in that, in that area. That's how he explains the halach of Shavas. Chayv Misa, person who has no place in that area, that's Lamala Manateva, so that's why the guy cannot keep, uh, cannot keep Shabbos, is not allowed to learn Torah. In terms of answering the question, so wait, so then how were the Avos able to, to keep Shabbos in Torah? As he explains very simply, it's, it's, it's not, if the whole reason why the guy is not allowed to, learn, to keep Shabbos and learn Torah is because they're from the world of Gvulim, as opposed to Shabbos and Torah, which is a which is which stems, which flows, which represents, which connects to a world which is above boundaries, above time. So therefore, that doesn't apply to the Avos. It's true the Avos may have the status of a Ben Nalach, but they are the harbinger, they are the beginning of the Klal Yisrael. <laughs> and therefore, they despite them being having the halachic status of a Ben Nalach, they would be allowed to keep Shabbos and learn Torah because they come from that world. Which is the beginning of Klai Yisrael, which is Lamalam and Agvul, Lamalam and Atteva. That's what Rabbi Yosef uh, Engels very first, what he talks about in his very first piece in the Beis HaOtzer. Just last night, um, one of my sons uh, came over to me to ask me a question in Masech the Gitten. He's learning the Perak Hamagarish, which is the ninth Perak in Gitten. So he asked me a question to explain the Gemara. So I asked him if he could bring me my Gemara. He took out my Gemara. On the very side of the page, it says, Ayein Asvan Daraisa Klalches. Asvan Daraisa Klalches. So uh, it, it was a basher that I should be speaking, have this chus of speaking a little bit about of Yosef Engel. And the particular shah that he had is the Gemara. And this is typical or standard, something that Rabbi Yosef Engel would do. So he would take a concept and just discuss every single area and every single tzad, every single way of looking at that particular concept. Matter of fact, I remember Rav Shachta told us that there was someone who was, uh, I think, fundraising from the Yeshuv and Eretz Yisrael, and he was going through all of Europe. And he made his way to Rav Chaim, and then he made his way to Rabbi Yosef Engel. And when he came back at some point, someone asked him, so what do you, what's the difference in Abchayim Brisk and Rabbi Yosef Engel? Do you see a difference? Is there a, is there a hevdel between them? So he said, they're both off the charts. They're both great gaonim. The only difference is that Rabbi Yosef Engel brings more proofs for his study, for his hakiris, for his approaches than Abchayim. Abchayim Sefer, he has a Sefer. He brings a few proofs to a certain mahalach, a certain hakira that he has, and he moves on. Rabbi Yosef Engel is uh, he brings a hakira, and then he brings proofs from all over Shas, from everywhere, from Moranavuchim, you name it. He's in uh, Midrashim. He doesn't, uh, there's no shortage of the rayas that he brings. The end of the story, by the way, goes that when someone came back around to Reb Chaim, and uh, Reb Chaim said, so where, 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 where have you been? He says, it's Rabbi Yosef Engel. So the, the story is that uh, they said to Reb Chaim, so what do you think of Rabbi Yosef Engel? is great. He has more proofs than you. <laughs> so the story goes that Reb Chaim went down into his into his drawer, and he pulled out hundreds of pages of proofs. He goes, you want proofs? I have proofs too. I just don't put them all into the safer. So uh, anyway, this particular hakira that he was just, we were discussing last night is the yisod of a concept of, of a person who's called a yavamal ashuk, a woman who is, whose husband passes away without, uh, without having any children. So she becomes what we call a yavama. And the halacha is that she's not allowed to marry anyone except for the, one of the brothers, ideally the oldest brother, but one of the living brothers of the husband who passed away. The widow can only marry one of the brothers of the, of the husband who passed away, assuming that she passed away, that he passed away without any children. So the Hakira that Rabbi Yosef Engel is somewhat famous for is, what exactly is the reason? What is the reason why she can't marry out, why she can't marry someone from the Shuk, why she can't marry some person out the, on the street? Why can she only marry the husband who is, um, who is, uh, she only married one of the brothers of the husband of her husband who passed away. So there's a few different, maybe three or four different approaches that he suggests. One of them is as follows. It's just a very interesting concept. One of them is as follows. When a woman marries a man, you have to discuss, is a woman married to the man forever and ever? Or is a woman married to the man so long as the man is alive? Man's alive. If the man passes away, they're no longer married. Once a man passes away, so it's not that she needs a heter to remarry. The whole yesod of kedushin, of nisuin, of marriage, 
is between a live man and a live woman. If the man passes away, so the woman's free to marry anyone else, not because it's not like he gave her a get. It's not, Misa dying is not a type of a get. It's just the Metsius. Once the person's no longer alive, so then there's no one, there's no marriage to talk about. The marriage is by definition has been dissolved. That's what I would have said. That's that's Pashat. That's what it sounds like in the Gemara in Kedushan Dav Beis. It says that Misa is Mishmaya. It comes Mishmaya when a woman's able to marry someone else. It's Mishmaya, just the, 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 the Torah says, that uh, happens automatically. Rabbi Yosef Engel suggests it's not what happens. That's not what happens at all. When a woman's married to a man, they're married forever and ever. Adli olam The man dies, so that's like a heter. It's a special heter. It's like giving a get. Either you can give a get, or you can, uh, or you can, uh, a person has misa. They say over a story, as an aside from, from Akiva Eger, there was a certain man who refused to give his wife a get. And uh, Rabbi Kiva Eger was arguing with the man, telling him he's a chiv from the bezin that he has to give a get. So the man says, I'm not giving a get. Rabbi, Rabbi Kiva Eger said, you have two options. The Mishnah says you can either, your, your wife's going to be able to remarry either by you giving a get or by the Mises Habal, you have to take a choice. He says, I'm not giving a get. And the story is that he, he, he slipped down the stairs on the way out of the bezin and he passed away. The wife was able to remarry. So uh, don't argue Rabbi Kiva Eger. So... This Chakira that Rabbi Yosef Engel wants to know is when you talk about Misa of a Baal, it's not just that there's no Baal so whether she can remarry. It's a, it's, a, it's a heter. It's like the Baal giving her a get. By him having died, she now can remarry. However, that heter is not in all situations. And if there's a brother that's alive in a situation where the husband didn't have any children, then the heter is not given, which means that the reason why she can't remarry reason why she can't remarry someone else besides the brother, because her marriage to the first husband is still in place. It, never, it was never released. Now, it's a funny thing. How can the marriage still be in place? The man is dead. Rabbi Yosef Engel is mechadish in one side of his chakira, that the, no, no, a, man, a woman's married to a man forever and ever. If he dies, there's a heter, but sometimes that heter doesn't apply. When does it not apply? When there's a brother who's alive in a situation where the man doesn't have any children, then uh, she can uh, not remarry. That's where Yavama Lashuk comes from. The other side that we were discussing last night is that maybe, no, maybe when a man dies, that halacha of the original ishos of the original marriage is dissolved. Anytime a person dies, if he's married to a woman, she is able to remarry automatically. But the Torah says that there's a new marriage that comes up. There's a new marriage. Without getting married, there's an automatic marriage that is created in a situation where someone dies without children. And the man has a brother. There's an automatic marriage that comes between the widow and one of the brothers. So it's not that she's still married to the original husband. It's that she now is newly married to one of the brothers. This is one of the uh, styles uh, that Rabbi Yosef Engel was very uh, popular for. He would take a concept, would make a chakira. He would develop the chakira. And then he'd bring proofs from here to there. In this particular case, he brings a proof. It's very so. Sometimes the Gemara is almost screaming at us what the Chakir is. The Gemara says, it's, it's clear, the Gemara wants to know, is the woman unable to remarry someone else besides the husband who now passed away? And one of the brothers, because of the husband or because of the brother? I mean, it's, it's as clear as day. Sometimes we miss it. Rabbi Yosef Engel was there to, to elaborate and, and, and show us what was very clear in the, uh, in, in the Gemara itself. Another something that I was uh, looking at and, and wrote about in one of um, one of the Svartim, the Mishnah's Yad, is uh, Rabbi, Kibegar, Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Engel has a chakira about the nature of Hegdish. The nature of Hegdish, what's the, what's the idea of Hegdish? Hegdish means that before you bring an animal on, as a carbon on the Mizbeach, so you have to be Makdish the animal. You can't just walk your animal into the base of Migdash and ask the Kohen to bring your animal as a carbon. What you first have to do, you have to be Makdish the animal. You have to consecrate the animal. You have to say, Hare zu ola. You have to go over to the, to the animal. If you have to go over to the animal, but you have to uh, um, um, reference the animal in your statement, Hare zu ola, Hare zu shlamim, Hare zu chatos. And then after you makdish the animal, then you bring the animal as a carbon. So Yosef Engel has a, 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 a beautiful thought, which is developed by Achronim, a post Rabbi Yosef Engel, is uh, whether the nature of Hegdish is the nature of hektish something that comes before the hakrava? Is it a is it a preparatory stage 
that we do before we are makriv a carbon on the mizbeach, or is the hektish the tchila of the hakrava? It's actually part of the hakrava itself. It's not that you have to be makdish an animal in order to be makriv on the mizbeach. No, it's actually more than that. Part of being makriv an animal is by being makdish it, that the first it begins when a person declares harezu ola harezu shlamim. And with this concept, he develops a very interesting yisod. It's a little bit complicated. It's a concept called dichoy. The halach is that if something is at one point unable to be brought on the mizbeach, even if the problem that it had disappears, that animal can no longer be brought on the mizbeach. It's called dichoy. Dichoy means that once it's not acceptable, even if the reason why it wasn't acceptable is no longer extant, it's no longer there, the problem has been removed, it doesn't matter, you can't bring the animal on the Mizbeach. Yosef Engel explains that there's one position that says, even if the animal has never been shechted, let's say you have an animal that uh, you're machdish, you say, and then something happens that makes it puzzle. What could happen that can make an animal puzzle? Very interesting. Let's say the man becomes not religious entirely and he rejects everything. It becomes what we call a mumer. So the law is a mumer can't bring his carbon on the mizbeach. It's not acceptable. So the law is that that animal, even after the man does tshuva, he goes to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, he has access to his neshama again. He's very excited. He wants to bring his animal. He had an animal in his barn. He was makdashit. Then he went off to derech. He comes back. He cannot bring the animal on the mizbeach. Why not? Because of dichoy. Yosef Engel explains this position must be holding that hektish is not just a preparatory stage before one is makrav an animal on the mizbeach. It's much more than that. The hektish is that it's part of the hakrava. So once you're in the middle of the hakrava and then something happens that makes the animal unacceptable on the mizbeach, it doesn't matter that that problem goes away. You can't in the middle of the hakrava have a, have a time period where the animal can no longer be brought and then come back. That's how Rabbi Yosef Engel explains the Yisod. It's a difficult concept called Bale Chayim Nidachim. Even if the animal's alive, it's, it's alive. Not that you haven't shechted it yet. Even when it's alive, so long as you were makdish the animal, if something happened that the animal for five minutes was unable to be brought on the Mizbeach, it can no longer be brought on the Mizbeach anymore. Why? Because the hektish was the beginning of the Hakrava. It wasn't just a Hachana for the Hakrava. But it was the tchila of the hakrava. And since it was the tchila of the hakrava, therefore it's nidcheli olam. And that's how he explains this kanzabalachamidachim. Again, it's just, just different ideas. Hope we got a little bit of a flavor of the style of Rabbi Yosef Engel, both in the world of machshava and in the world of, uh, of halacha and lamdus. And uh, once again, there's so, I mean, there's so much more to say. But- it was the following There was a man living in Bendin who his wife had become a shelter. His wife had become halachically unable to receive a get. Uh, a get, although can be given according to the Torah, uh, even without her rishus, without her das, the, as we're going to talk about, the charom of Rameinu Gershom changed things. However, the woman, even <laughs> you, she needs to have the mental acuity to be able to receive a get. If she doesn't have that mental acuity, you're still married to that person. Now, the problem was his wife had clearly suffered uh, the type of mental breakdown situation that she was uh, objectively considered a shota, someone who uh, was not uh, in charge of their own situation and their faculties were not uh, competent enough. And it was obviously someone he couldn't live with as well. She might have even been uh, under, you know, I don't know if she, there was no, I don't know if she was institutionalized, but he was not able to live with her. And it had been for years. The man wanted to marry another wife, but he couldn't give a divorce to the first one. Now, so what's the problem? So we know there was a Eitzel that was used in Europe. I'm not sure if it was in the Sephardi world as well, called the Heter Meir Abonim. That the, that the Isser of marrying a second wife is the Chaim Rabbeinu Gershom. Um, could we get a hundred Rabbonim of important Talmud Chachamim to allow that marriage to take place? A heter meir Rabbonim. Now, the problem was, even though there, he might have been able to get the meir Rabbonim, the hundred rabbis, the problem was, is that he's still married to wife number one. And there's a responsibility to provide for her. 
That's part of the Chiv and the Ksuva, perhaps even more than that. And if the man was, 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 was not wealthy, he couldn't just keep, he wasn't like Rochester in Jane Eyre. He wasn't able uh, to, to help support his wife that had, uh, that had lost her mind. And well, Rochester obviously didn't, <laughs> didn't support his wife in any nice way at all. But he didn't have the, at least he had the funds to be able to do that. This man did not. And because of that, maybe the Hector Mayor upon him can't work. Because the because the Gershom, uh, to allow it, you need the hundred rabbanim, but you can't leave the wife in, in such a stage where no one's taking care of her. Who's going to provide for her? And since he doesn't have enough money to take on a second wife and to be able to provide whatever care the first wife needed, so we shouldn't allow him to marry this new wife. Now, um, Rav, Rav Yosef Engel mentions, he says, the ra- Rabbi, you sent me your, your, your own decision here, your own investigation. He says, you mentioned a whole bunch of svarim, which I don't have, <laughs> I guess, which, which shows you that, you know, he knew about them, but he didn't have them. He says, I can tell you that uh, the, I do have a Chubas Rekiv Eger, he mentions. I do have a Chubas Natsib, which was sort of hot off the press. That much he did have. He says, I did look in Rekiv Eger, and Rekiv Eger says that it's possible that the Chaim Rabbeinu Gershom does not apply when the wife, your first wife, has become uh, mentally imbalanced. And that was Rekiv Eger's approach to allow the Chaim. Rav Yosef Engel, though, however, says it could be from the Gemara itself that it's usher to marry a second wife. He quotes the Gemara in Yavamis, where Rami says, that if a person marries a second wife, you, the, your, your first wife uh, could demand her ksuva and she wants payment right away. I didn't want another wife here. I didn't want to be in a situation where I'm married to some, another, another woman comes into the house. That was Rav Ami. Now, Ravami's halach is even if the reason why you're marrying that second wife is in order because the first wife can't have children. So even if the first wife can't have children or you don't know if you can have children with her, Ravami holds that the first wife can say, look, you want to get a second wife because you want to have children? You've got to pay me off. You've got to allow me to get on with my life. That was Ravami. Rava says, if a person wants to, this is before Rabbeinu Gershom, of course, from the Gemara, a person can marry as many, he can marry many, multiple women. However, you have to be able to support them. So, in other words, Rav Yosef Engel now says, it turns out that according to Rova, if you have a person who can't support two wives, and this man cannot support two wives, because one wife needs the care of the, the show to care needs, and the second wife is going to need uh, is going to need to be fed and taken care of as well, he doesn't have enough money. So if he doesn't have enough money, according to uh, according to Rava, it's also to marry a second wife. So you can't just say what was the chamer Gershom? and maybe the chamer Gershom doesn't apply. From the Gemara itself, it would be also to marry a second wife if you're not able to support two. And we know that uh, there is a machlekes between the Rambam and the Ramah. The Rambam holds that if a woman becomes a shaita, that you are able to, um, that you are able, you don't have to keep on supporting her. That is the shita of the Rambam. But the Ramah says not like that. The Ramah paskins that as terrible as the situation is, you still have to pay for her meals and she still has to be fed by you. So um, he, quote, he says that how can, if you're talking about a heter mayor rabbonin, so, and you can't support two wives, so the Gemara itself says it's also because you're mechuyiv to give mezaynas to one. And therefore, l'chora, our friend in Bendin, is in a problem. He won't be able to marry a second wife. So Rav Yosef Engel was matter, though, however. Not from the way Rocky Vager did. He was matter, this man, from another reason. And what he uses here is something which I think is, is worthwhile to hear. He says that the idea that Rav says that you can't marry a second wife if you can't support both is only if there's no mitzvah to have married that second wife. 
if there's a mitzvah, if you have a mitzvah chiyuvis to marry the second wife, then, or an avera by not marrying the second wife, then even though you don't have mezainus for the first one, you won't give her mezainus. Why? Because if by giving mezonos to the wife that was the shota, you are now going to be doing an isur, there's no chiv to give mezonos to a woman to do any mitzvah by doing that mitzvah as an isur. Rabbi Yasvangel says it can't be worse than, let's say, if a person needs mezonos for himself, right? You have a chiv to, to support yourself. But the only way you can support yourself is by stealing, is by robbing, is by killing. You're not going to say, well, I have a chiv, I have to, I have to be mafarnas myself. If there's an avera involved, there cannot be a mitzvah to support. If the support can only come through an avera, then there is no mitzvah to support that person. So the uh, what, so what avera is there staying in that situation? So Rabbi Yosef Engel, based on the, the Chuvis Radach, Rabbi David Cohen, uh, from a Kadmai, he says, the way he words the Gemara, the Gemara Nevamah says, that a person cannot be in a situation where he's not married, that it's also to stay not married. Why? Because the Pasuk says, right in the beginning of, of in Sefer Bereshus. It's before Matan Teira, but the Radach says that that's an Isra Menateira. So, if a person uh by staying married and not allowing him to get married to someone else, he has been he's going to be over an Isser. Now, what is now, even though it's true, he says that sometimes the rabbis create dinim where they say uh you can't travel uh, outside of the trum even for a mitzvah rabba. Uh we know that the, that they were Mavato, the mitzvah of Shoifer on Shabbos, uh, even though there's a mitzvah. So Rabbi Yosef Engel says that's because even though the Rabbonans are very strong, and sometimes you have to keep a mitzvah the Rabbonan, even though uh, the other mitzvah isn't being done, that's where there's a mitzvah saseh that falls by the wayside, because the mitzvah the Rabbonan is stronger. Here, the mitzvah the Rabbonan, to be mefarnes your wife, the shota, can't be stronger than an avera, a mitzvah that's really and essentially an avera, if you, if you don't fulfill it. What's the Avera, Rabbi Yosef Engel says? To be a person who's not married lends itself almost automatically to a life of Yisra. Because men are men. <laughs> and a man without a woman to live with, without a woman that he could have a, 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 a sexual relation with in a normal fashion, that is living a life of Avera B'Poyo, Rabbi Yosef Engel says. So it's therefore, which again is sort of a Hasidish way of looking at uh, at living with, with without with, without a functioning marriage, and therefore he says that it can't be that for the mitzvah the rabbanon of being mafarnis the first wife he is going to be in an avera state by living without a, a wife that he can actually have a real relationship with. Because living with, in, in a situation where you don't have a real relationship with that person and you don't have a relationship with a, a man, doesn't have a relationship with a, with a woman, is a, is a status of Isser. It's from the very beginning Rabbi. of the Torah. Rabbi. Yes. Rabbi, maybe, maybe it's a sin, uh, it's an Abeira not to support his first wife who, 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 who is unstable. Maybe that's an Abeira. It's true, but this, it's a Shibud. Uh, Henoch. He has a shibud as a married person. You have a shibud mamon to your wife. Now, it could be a shibud that the Torah creates from the Pasuk Sher Ksusvona. It might be a din the Rabbonon that the Rabbonon, because of the Ksuva you took on upon yourself, but it can't be greater. It, it, it doesn't take precedence when, when now, by, by having fealty to this woman, that you are going to be in a state of Avera. Now, I know what you're saying. You're saying it isn't just support of money. It's 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 humanity. It's 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 menschlichkeit. It's 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 what any compassionate person can do. No doubt about it. That would be. But on there, he could say, well, the community should support her, right? Right. She's a woman right. who needs help. But sure. it's not. You can't say that it's my chiv. You can't say that the poor man from Bendin 
can't remarry because and can't have a normal life because he's mechuyiv to pay for this woman who's a shoyta, and therefore he won't be able to have a second wife. So therefore, he says that, um, that and, and again, he uses, as Rabbi Weiss says, he goes through all through Shas to show you where this principle, uh, how the mitzvahs, the Rabbanan, are connected to the mitzvahs from the Torah. But at the end, as you can see, that obviously uh, this uh, to ask this person not to be married. Uh, we know when, when it comes to Ashavas Aveda or Kibbut Aveim, a person is even Kibbut Aveim. Let's talk about what you're saying, Anach. Kibbut Aveim, Rabbi Yosef Engel says, even if you say that it, first of all, we pass that it comes from the father, not from the child. And a child doesn't have to lose his, his, his uh, to do an Aveira, to help his father, uh, to, to give his father what he wants. A person doesn't have to lose his Olam Haba, doesn't have to lose his, that's more important than money. And even if you want to say a person has to pay for the support of his parents, which we don't paskin like that, but you don't have to lose, uh, you don't have to lose your Olam Haba for your parents. You don't have to, that's considered too much of a sacrifice. In the same way, or Ashavas Aveda for somebody else, you don't have to lose in order to return a lost item, even though it's a great mitzvah. Here he says that this is a, uh, a loss to himself that can never be recovered. So he says that, uh, and I just read you the end of his psaq, as he says that, that in order to keep supporting her, if he's doing an Avera by doing that, he says it's no better than himself. And therefore, he gave a heter for the man to remarry. And I think it's a quite a, uh, an interesting and brilliant approach as to, to, to let this person off the hook and to allow him. And he does it again in a way that's original and unique. And I think you see it complements what, um, what Rabbi Weiss was saying. Rabbi Weiss showed you Rabbi Yosef Engel in the abstract. Here's Rabbi Yosef Engel dealing with a person with a problem on the ground, and through the type of heady analysis and understanding that he brought to, he was, it was, he allowed this person to perhaps have another chance in life. And that really shows you, again, uh, the greatness of being able to think analytically and being able to apply it in such an important, in such an important manner. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.